I'm Jana Marin, and you're listening to season three of More to the Story, the podcast that's all about creative nonfiction and the power of sharing your personal story. Tell me a story, tell me true. I want to know what happened to you. The stars are all out and the night is so blue. Tell me a story and I'll tell mine to you. Welcome to More to the Story, Season 3, Episode 4, the show that's all about something near and dear to my heart, as you know by now, telling true stories without shame and sharing them with the world. In addition to this podcast, I also publish a literary magazine called Under the Gum Tree, dedicated to creative nonfiction and visual art. The magazine is published quarterly in digital and print. If you enjoy the readings on this show, I encourage you to check out the complete stories by purchasing a single issue or getting a subscription. Your purchase directly supports the work of the artists and writers we publish. Digital subscriptions are $20 a year and print subscriptions are $80 a year. All that info is online at underthegumtree.com. You can also find out about my work as a book editor and coach for nonfiction authors at janamarlise.com. On today's episode of More to the Story, I'm joined by Kelly Fig Smith. Kelly is an award-winning essayist and a Pushcart Prize nominee. She has an MFA in nonfiction from Lesley University. Her essay, Do No Harm, was awarded the $1,000 Best Essay Prize and appeared in Creative Nonfiction's issue number 55, The Memoir Issue, in spring 2015. Her essay, Paper Moon, was shortlisted for the Pinch's 2017 Literary Award. Kelly enjoys the quiet life of rural Ohio. When she's not chasing children around the house, she can usually be found cornfield watching from beneath an apple tree in her backyard. Kelly is currently seeking representation for her first book, a collection of essays, and you can connect with Kelly on Twitter at Whale Lines. You can find Kelly's essay, Paper Moon, in Under the Gum Tree, issue 29 from October 2018. It was nominated for a Pushcart Prize. I interviewed Kelly in March 2019 at AWP in Portland. And before we get to the interview, here is Kelly reading her essay, Winter Soliloquy, which was published in Hippocampus, July 2019. Winter Soliloquy. Lazy November leaves hang around long enough to be painted with the first snow. But soon after comes the ice, entombing each remaining leaf in glass until, at last, they come shattering to the ground. Rhododendron bush has turned a dark military green. These are the last days of flies. Their rounded bodies lazily bounce off Venetian blinds. I don't bother knowing their time is short, but soon enough I'll find them belly up on windowsills and countertops. And in the morning, I absently sweep them onto the cold linoleum, then flip the switch and start the coffee brewing. Scrape cream from the top of the jar for the cat. These winter days, I expend energy fooling myself into thinking I'm content, that I enjoy it, the oppressive dark, the bitter cold. The reality, of course, is we're all just trying to get through it, looking towards spring with great anticipation. We remember green, although never true green, and also blue, 
how on those fine summer days, it was so thick, it slipped inside us as we stood in ice cream shops and reclined by pools. But here in the middle of winter, blue seems hardly brighter than gray, a bad impression of something faintly remembered. All of it instead replaced by a landscape bled dry. So maybe this is about seasons. I crave an old wooden cook stove, something to stoke. Such is winter, I suppose, in which each of us feels we must poke at some kind of fire. Something ancient inside of us always looking for a match, dry timber. For that crackling, splintering sound. I light fires for no reason. We Ohioans are always saying how much we like the seasons, how we can see the transition from one to the next. But something about the bleakness makes me feel crazy, as if candles aren't enough and I might, on a whim, burn down my life instead. And now we must bring it round to a point. Perhaps it's about silence or related dormancy. If I were a bear or perhaps a perennial, I'd spend the next few months underground, storing up energy for spring, feeding off the reserves I diligently stored through the summer and fall, those things which are essential, such as sunlight. I'll capture it and store it in a wooden chest, pull it out and wear it like a fine yellow garment, the fabric like lemon chiffon swishing at my feet. Or perhaps take the sun and rend from it all its fat, fashion it into a fine buttery cream. I also need the sea. I'll use old pint-sized jars to contain it, line them up along dusty wooden shelves in the basement, sweeping aside the upturned bodies of last year's flies. In February, stand naked on the concrete floor and unscrew the ring, pry the metal cap from the top and allow it to breathe like a fine wine, filling the cellar with the pungent aroma of sea salt and gulls. I'll bow my head and pour the Atlantic down the nape of my neck until it runs into an icy pool at my feet. Ration the jars so there's one for each month. As for how to keep green, I'll sew a quilt of still fresh rhododendron leaves, thread a needle across the blunt ends, string them together like a garland. Carefully tuck the next row under the pointed tips of the first, row after row until I'm entirely concealed, alone as I so often desire to be. But what if this is about marriage, about the seasons a marriage must inevitably go through? Warm days of delight and discovery, of bare feet and laughter, when everything is as green as a fine spring day. The fleeting yellow-orange heat of summer, those long days run through with blue. And to look at it from a larger view, what season is 20 years? Two decades of commitment, of fidelity. Not spring or summer, autumn then. A time of change when a marriage bed expands to welcome children. A time in which we'll need to draw on the reserves of summer, all those jars of seawater to remind us of when we ourselves were free, unburdened, rolling back and forth with the whims of the moon. It's always an option to keep it to ourselves, the sun, the sea, a blanket of rhododendron. We can stare at our freedom lined up in dusty jars on a darkened shelf, a reminder, I was something once. I'm prone to love that which is green and new, 
that worship of rebirth, which makes me feel I want nothing more than to be young forever over and over again. Loping out of my parents' house into the July sun and my first boyfriend's sports car. Bright yellow shorts and a crop top, feet propped up on a blistering dashboard. A boy's hand instinctively resting on my thigh. I love your skin, he says, running his palm across the still flat plane of my stomach in a hot car on a side road. It was one kind of being alive. There are others, more resilient, more true. I love our kids, our family, a man says, grabbing my hand. They make me so happy. We make me so happy. And in the cool of the night, when he runs his hand over me, it is instead the softened edges of middle age that he finds, the rounded borders of 20 years, his fingers trace the lines splayed across hips, pathways carved by children who moved through me like glaciers. And so, another choice. To grab a lover's hand and descend into the cellar together. Maybe, in an act of gratuitous waste, we'll open every jar and bathe one another with the Atlantic. And perhaps, if we stand there long enough, all that seawater dripping from our softened edges will remember what it felt like to be young and naked in the sea together. Then, if we're lucky, autumn and winter will slip away and a season will be stolen, a fire stoked by such care, such delicious waste. Thank you, Kelly, and welcome to more to the story. Thank you for having me. This is great. I love it that we're able to find time to sit down like in the midst of AWP and have like a face to face. I keep saying that on every interview I'm doing here because it's such a rare opportunity. So yes, for sure. Um, I always like to start with just asking for a little bit of background on your writing and how you came particularly to the genre of creative nonfiction. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, we had uh, early on in my marriage, we had a late term pregnancy loss. Uh, for me, it probably really started more as like diary entries, you know, just to myself. And I like quickly found that having a place to kind of dump things out of my head, like all the terrible things I was thinking in my in my brain, if I could put those down on paper, I felt like release from those things. And so it kind of started as just a, a place to keep kind of uh, almost like a grief journal. And then a couple years later, I thought, well, I wonder if I could kind of turn these into something. And so I kind of tried to start more fashioning those into essays, which I don't even know if I knew the term creative nonfiction at that point. I didn't really know exactly what I was doing. Um, uh, and pretty soon after, I found the Kenyan Writers Workshop, which is just down the road from where I live. And um, I took one of their creative nonfiction workshops and thought, oh, <laughs> this is what I'm writing. And so it just kind of all happened from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How long ago was that? Um, gosh, it was probably like 10 years ago. Yeah. So everything fell into place from there for me. And I've learned about myself now that I really need to understand. I need a place to figure out what something has meant to me. You know, even the smallest things. Like, I feel like I live in a world where I'm always trying to, like, I see signs and everything. I'm always trying to figure out, like, what did that mean? Maybe it was nothing, you know, but I need a place to, a safe place to kind of figure out what felt like something to me. And so I need to understand it, I guess. Yeah. 
I love that. That makes complete, perfect sense to me as somebody who does the same thing in my nonfiction. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I started as a fiction writer and I say this every once in a while when these in these interviews when it comes up and because that's what I was trying to do in fiction it was contrived fiction as like veiled autobiographical okay yeah stuff and I was trying to understand and make sense of my experiences right but then it didn't work until I discovered that oh you can do that in a literary form right yeah and there are conventions and modes for applying the same craft for sure. To telling true stories. Right. Absolutely. So um, for the piece you read, what was the impetus for it? How did that come together for you? Well, it's kind of twofold. So I start like my writing practice every day. I start with a free write, um, which I think a lot of people do um, from the Artist's Way book, which I do love. I love that book. And for me, it almost always starts out as a lot of whining about the weather. <laughs> so I was whining about the weather um, uh, and just kind of looking out my window and kind of like a Billy Collins, the poet kind of way, like there's a squirrel. But it, it just kind of fell in a waterfall way to me. Then I felt like I started thinking about E.B. White and his wooden cook stove. Like I wish I had a wooden cook stove. You know, I wish I could set things on fire and really kind of about the craziness that I start to feel in the winter of how like I may just do something really reckless just because I can't leave this house like something devastating like you know burned down my life but also I think it was a response to um, I had heard an editor of a magazine once say like this really big shot magazine and she was giving advice to a room full of people she said we need to know what this is about by the end of the first page like you've got one page sell me I need to know what this essay is about and I think I have some essays that are like that uh, but I I also really like some essays that are not like that I really kind of like an essay where the reader and the writer get to kind of discover something at the same time where it kind of builds and accretes and I kind of like that magical slow pace essay and I think I try to give readers the benefit of the doubt. Like, I think there are readers who are interested in that and don't need to hear, this is a story about whatever on page one. And here's how it's going to, you know, it's going to have your typical beginning, middle, falling action, you know, the end. And so I think it was a little bit of a pushback at like, let's just see, you know, how this goes. (laughs) That's so wonderful that you heard something that was meant to be instructive and you were like, no thanks. Right, no, also, it resonates deeply with me because that's a lot of what I look for in the pieces that we publish for Under the Gum Tree is yeah. what you're talking about is the subtlety right. of letting mm-hmm. the reader figure out and bring meaning and pull meaning out of the piece. Yes, based on what's on the page, but also based on what they are bringing to the piece because right. that's going to be different for each reader. Yeah. And I certainly don't want to be spoon-fed as a reader. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to be spoon-feeding the readers of, of our magazine either. Yes, absolutely. So I think that's a really wonderful way that you've described it. Yeah, thank you. I just, I mean, later, obviously, there's some craft involved of trying to go back and, and put some callbacks with the flies or put some callbacks with um, the jars, you know. But I, I really intentionally didn't want to craft it up too much. Because really, that's how that essay discovered itself as I was writing it. And I didn't want to lie, I guess. It felt like lying to me to like go and like contrive something else. Like that one, I kind of wanted it to stand on its own. And again, I put some little callbacks in there. But 
yeah, it was just kind of interesting and fun. And I think we need to give ourselves permissions as permission as writers to do things that are interesting and fun and yeah. not just like textbook. You know? Yeah. That piece is a short piece that I would probably classify as like flash. Yeah. Okay, so do you typically write flash or do you do both? You go back and forth between flash and more long form? I tend to write a lot of flash. I had a mentor in my um, MFA, Roland Marullo, who said some writers are long distance runners and some are sprinters. And he did, he said, I think you are a sprinter. And I think that's true. And that could be because of my personality in that I get really overwhelmed with big picture sometimes. Like, um,. I'm more comfortable telling a story, a single, you know, when I try to think about grand scope of what's the big narrative thread that goes through all of these stories or, or you know, how's this whole thing going to play out, I can kind of freeze up. But I do typically land usually somewhere between the 750 and 2,000 words, somewhere in there normally. I really like to experiment with micro pieces lately. It, like I'm having fun with some like 100 word stories or you know, a paragraph. It's, yeah, it's kind of fun. I like to experiment. Mm -hmm. I find that fascinating because I, I'm a long distance. Are you? Runner. Okay. I envy <laughs> you. I would love to be a long distance writer. Well, and I envy you. Yeah. I would love to be able to do the sprinting too. Yeah. You know, I've attempted, I've attempted it. And a lot of times what happens for me is when I'm generating the short kind of vignettes yeah. will come out, Yeah. but they're not, Standalone, Right. Yeah. And then my work is to go back and string them together to right. make a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think it's really challenging. Like I spent, <laughs> I don't know how many times I've tried to write an essay for brevity, for instance, uh -huh. which is maximum 750 words. <laughs> and every time I get like 800, 900, 1000, well, that one's not for brevity. <laughs> like I just keep, I do, you know, it's really challenging to have a complete story in such a small amount of, and so maybe that's what it is. Maybe I just like kind of enjoy the challenge. I feel the same way about collage and braided essays. Like I feel like they're so complicated and challenging. And so I'm just constantly trying to pull it off, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's something fun to play with, I guess. So the piece that you read also feels very much like a meditation to me. Yes, it starts with the weather and the seasons and whatnot, but yeah. then you bring it around to the metaphor of time passing yeah. and attempting to save things that are ultimately lost. Yeah, I am putting together a memoir and essays, and that's essentially like what the whole thing is about. I feel like things I love, people I love, I'm always trying to have them forever. Um, not even just people I love, like kids or my husband. I think like even landscapes, like even coming here to Portland for AWP, I, you know, my brain immediately says, I love it here. How can I have this always, you know? And so I am trying to figure out a way to love things, love places and people without always trying to consume them or, or own them or have them entirely as my own. And so, yeah, there's probably... There's, there's some element of loss in everything I write, which doesn't make it sound very cheerful, I guess. <laughs> but, but it's like, it's a coming to grips with like, none of this is mine. Mm -hmm. So, and that's no small thing, I guess. Well, and it's very, it's a very real and true experience. Yeah. And I love the image of the jars and like attempting to save those intangibles yeah. in a very like tight and contained right. space. Right. Yeah. 
So I was also getting this sense of aging and passing of time, but also indulgence. Mm-hmm. Because you have at the end, you're saving parts of the sea for every month and you're right. going to use one every month but yeah. then you you decide well maybe we'll just use them all at once right yeah yeah for sure i think that's a conflict in my personality you know like i do think i'm more prone to indulgence than saving but i also think it's the conflict in me and maybe for a lot of introverts in being um and having a partner and children of there's always some element of me that wonders Uh, Do I want to be alone? Do I want to be entirely alone? You know, I've given my life to a person. I've given my life to children. And it's this conflict that's, you know, I'm always reconciling. And so I think the essay is also about my decision to live a life with other people. Um, And it's a constant decision. And even though sometimes I want to burn down my life, and I think, you know, maybe I'll do that. (laughs) Most of the time, I make the choice to share those jars to share those experiences and I think that's worth it I think so too uh, yeah sure so um you mentioned you're working on a book yes is this essay you read part of that project sure oh okay <laughs> <laughs> did you just decide that right now uh-huh yeah okay. <laughs> thanks for the clarification <laughs> again I struggle with big picture okay so I right. almost have to baby myself right. and say you know, but yeah, I'm compiling these things. And I do think they all, even though sometimes I don't realize it, like when you pointed out, I feel like this is about loss. I was like, oh no, <laughs> like probably right. Uh, I do think they all have kind of that central um, theme of love and loss. So yeah, I'm working on putting that together. It kind of started related to pregnancy loss, but it's been so much bigger um, than that. I've realized that's, you know, I don't want to lose anything. And so yeah. that's, you know, maybe we all feel that way. I don't want to lose anything. I want to keep it all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. I won't ask you then, like, how close you think you are to being done. Or, like, how far uh-huh. along the, the book project is. Okay. You won't ask me? <laughs> Not unless you want to talk oh, about okay. it. Okay. I am about halfway through. Okay. Which, you know, you could be a glass half full person and be like that's awesome yeah um and that's where i'm trying to be i'm just trying to chip away i'm also i think there's something lovely about giving yourself permission to do things slowly which is kind of what that essay is about i have a visual artist friend who intentionally spends a lot of time sewing tiny pieces of fabric that then he applies to his paintings and it's just it's painstakingly slow and the point is kind of to say there's something really nice about taking care Um, using great care and the things that we create and so you know you've got the one side of your brain saying this needs to be done this year you've got the other side of your brain saying make something you're proud of something you love something you took a lot of care with and so you know kind of always fighting that battle I guess I think we all are as writers yeah Yeah. you know I gave myself the deadline two years ago to complete my manuscript but by the time I turned 40 which is in three or four months from hey, now. Happy almost birthday. Thank you. <laughs> so I have the same the same battle because I am a goal-oriented person. Yeah. I am a deadline-driven person. Yeah. So I set those goals and those deadlines for myself, and I am, like, bound and determined to meet them, and I'm on my way and, yeah. like, set the path. And then it starts to get closer and closer and closer, and I definitely am feeling myself thinking, like, 
I need more time. I right. want more time. I think that's a good mix, though. Like, I saw your you posted somewhere your schedule and your writing retreats that you were doing, and that I actually adopted some of that, and that's been really helpful. And deadlines are really helpful for me. I got so much writing done in my MFA, and now, you know, when I don't have someone, you know, saying, you must submit this to me by this date, it's a lot harder. And so... I think a good hybrid of that is is perfect. You know, you give yourself these deadlines, and then you give yourself permission to take a little longer if you need it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's perfect. Okay, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's great to hear that feedback because I love how you've incorporated a little bit of what I've shared and yeah. what works for me. Yeah. And now I need to do the same yeah. with what you've shared. Oh, so that's amazing. Thank you so much for taking time out of your AWP schedule to sit down and talk with me. Before we wrap up, tell listeners where they can find out more about you and your work. Okay. Easiest way to connect with me is on Twitter at whale letters. Whale as in the big fish in the sea. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Jana. That was Kelly Fig-Smith. Visit her on Twitter at Whale Lines. Find the links and info from today's episode in the show notes online at moretothestorypodcast.com. If you're looking for a place to find more support with writing your true personal story, let me tell you about the More to the Story community. The More to the Story community is a free and safe space online for nonfiction authors to connect with each other, hone their craft, share their experiences, and make real progress on their projects. You'll connect with me and my team of editors, but you'll also connect with other writers just like you. Visit janamarlise.com slash community for more info and to request to join. I hope you'll join me. I would love nothing more than to support your writing journey of telling your story without shame. Next time on More to the Story, I talk with Tim Hillegons, the author of the memoir, The Distance Between. It's a longer conversation, but an important one, and we cover some intense topics, including toxic masculinity and recovering from drug addiction. To subscribe to this podcast, go to itunes.com slash more to the story. While you're there, leave a review. I love feedback. I love hearing from you and it helps other nonfiction writers just like you find the show. More to the story is produced out of my home office in Sacramento, California. Special thanks to my husband, Jeremy Marin, who wrote and performed the theme song. You can visit us online at moretothestorypodcast.com, follow Under the Gumtree on Instagram and Twitter at undergumtree. I'm Jana Marin, just Jana on Twitter, Jana Marlise everywhere else. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of More to the Story. Tell me a story, tell me true. I want to know what happened to you. The stars are all out and the night is so blue. Tell me a story and I'll tell mine to you. Sitting on the balcony, drinking up our wine. Talking about the way that we used to live our lives. The words in the books, man, they're nothing but lines. I look into your eyes and you look into mine. You say, tell me a story, tell me true. I want to know what 
happened to you? The stars are all out and the night is so blue. Tell me a story and I'll, I'll tell mine to you.